we're going to have an opportunity to read through this resurrection account together, found out of John uh, chapter 20. Starting in verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his wrists, or his hands, and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, thanks, worship team, uh, for reading and for leading us in worship today. Happy Easter. Uh, kind of a weird Easter, isn't it? Um, like really hot last night, or yesterday, I mean, and really cold today. How many did yard work yesterday? Nobody? Well, I did. I did a ton of yard work, and um, probably none today, though. Well, happy Easter. 
Uh, We'll be spending our time in John 20 through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. What was this resurrection experience like? I was at the uh, McPherson Lady Pups uh, State Basketball uh, Tournament just a few weeks ago. And as I was uh, talking to someone next to me, a friend and a neighbor, he leaned over and said, I just heard that they're going to cancel the tournament after tonight. I said, no way. They'll never do that. Well, they did. And after that, a domino effect of all these cancellations just started to fall one after another. Uh, school, the prom, uh, NCAA tournament, the Olympics, um, the Masters Golf Tournament, uh, family vacations, even some funerals and weddings had to be postponed. And so people's high hopes came crashing down because of this coronavirus. Jeremy Camp, um, has a, his life story was in the movie I Still Believe. And Lynn and I saw this again at the same time as the state tournament when it first came out. Uh, Jeremy uh, was a student when I was a youth pastor in Lafayette, Indiana. His dad was a pastor at a neighboring church. So we got to know them, and uh, and Jeremy went away to college after he graduated from high school, and he went all the way from Indiana to California to a Christian school. There he met a woman of his dreams, and uh, he fell in love. But in the course of their courtship, uh, they discovered that his girlfriend, Melissa, had stage four cancer. So I remember being asked to pray for Jeremy and his girlfriend by his dad. And so we did that as a youth group and as a community even. And then we received the news that uh, Melissa was healed of her cancer. The doctor was uh, surprised to find no tumor, no evidence of cancer in her body. And so they went to plan their wedding some months later, several months later. And uh, it was on their honeymoon that they discovered that her cancer had uh, returned. She had tumors in her abdomen area that reappeared. Three and a half months after their wedding, uh, Melissa died, and they were celebrating her life at her funeral. Talk about crushed hopes. The disciples were expecting Jesus to march into Jerusalem, uh, fulfill prophecy, and be the Messiah to save Israel to rescue them, redeem them uh, from the hands of the Roman tyranny that was over the land. And and he would set himself up as the king and reclaim Jerusalem as the place for the Jews and, um, and reign in the temple, just like in the glory days of King David. And so on that Sunday, on Palm Sunday, when he marched into Jerusalem on a donkey, you know the story, they cheered him on. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they expected great and supernatural things to occur that week. But it didn't turn out the way they expected. In fact, after five days, they had had enough. These same people who were were proclaiming Hosanna were, were saying, crucify him, many of them. And so Jesus, on that next Friday, was led out to Golgotha to die on the cross, a horrific execution. Their hopes were crushed beyond measure. Just a couple of years prior, maybe three years prior, Mary Magdalene had an encounter with Jesus. 
We don't know much about her life other than she was delivered by Jesus of seven demons that had possessed her life. And why this possession? Was she an abused child? Was she raised in a home with a lot of hate and fear and neglect? Was she perhaps a victim of, um, of sex trading, if you will, um, which would have been very common in, the, in those days, sexual slavery? Whatever the case, she was uh, filled with seven demons, but she was miraculously delivered and her life was changed. Jesus, oh, and now she was among, with the disciples and those at the foot of the cross on that Good Friday, watching her Messiah get crucified before her eyes, humiliated, um, ashamed, helpless. And yet she was there with her hopes crushed beyond measure. Jesus appeared so helpless and defeated that day. Where was God? Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Why didn't God do something to miraculously change this situation? So now during this pandemic, we are experiencing perhaps confusion and isolation, perhaps fear. Perhaps many of our high hopes had come crashing down, can't go to the prom this year, can't experience a graduation for the seniors. Hopes are crushed. Nothing much happened on that Saturday in between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday other than the Passover, day of rest. In John 20, we read, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. If she hadn't reached her lowest point up to this point, she certainly had now. Jesus' body was missing. The evil Romans had allegedly stolen Jesus' body, and so Mary didn't know what to do. She was so distraught that she began running as if in a frenzy, I can see in my mind. And she didn't know who to turn to, and so she thought, I'm going to go to someone who will understand the most. And I wonder who you would turn to in a moment of crisis when you receive um, difficult news like this. Who would you make your first phone call to? Well, Mary turned to Peter and John, the one who loved Jesus. And after she found him, it says in verse 2, they, uh, she told them, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And notice her language. We, we don't know where they put him. In other words, Mary wouldn't have come to the uh, empty tomb alone early in the morning. In fact, the other Gospels uh, indicate that there were four or five other women who joined her early that morning. But I believe Mary alone ran to get Peter and John, while the other uh, women may have experienced an angelic encounter. Well, meanwhile, Peter, John, and Mary, they hightailed it back to the tomb, and John outran all of them and, and poked his head in and, and discovered it was empty, the tomb. Uh, Peter, uh, he was being typical Peter, and he barged right through John, went right into the tomb, and noticed all the burial cloths were in there, but Jesus was gone. And sure enough, they believed that he was stolen. 
John and Peter, in their um, moment of despair, they just turned back and went to their homes, leaving Mary behind. She remained at the tomb, grieving. Verse 11, we're told, Mary was standing outside the tomb, crying. She was grieving not only because uh, of the horrific crucifixion that she couldn't get out of her mind. It was stuck there, that, that horrific scene. But now, to make matters worse, the body was stolen, and she was unable to say goodbye to Jesus. Verse 11, she wept and bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Why am I crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Verse 14, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? There's that question again. And who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. After all, uh, they were, the tomb was in the garden. It was a garden tomb. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Mary would have given anything just to be with Jesus' body one more time, one last time. And then she heard that very familiar voice that she had heard many times before. Mary, could it be? Now, how could this be possible? And then she turned to him and cried, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to your brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Well, what can we learn from Mary Magdalene in her encounter with Jesus? What can we learn uh, about how God chose to unfold these events the way he did? And I think we can learn three things. First thing is that Jesus calls us by name. Jesus called out to Mary. Mary, and that's when her eyes were open and she recognized him as her savior. You know, when someone calls us and calls out our name or calls us long distance after not hearing from them, then it's such a high privilege to hear from them. It make us, makes us feel validated and affirmed like, like uh, someone wants to know us, someone cares about us. Someone notices me. Unless they use your middle name, like my mom used to do. John, William, and then you, you don't really want to hear your name. A renowned Bible professor from Houghton College uh, came to our house when I was maybe a ninth grader or so, I, I recall. And he used my room as he was getting treatment for his illness in a nearby hospital. And so he would come uh, a couple times a month for a while. And, and I remember him coming, and I was in awe of this man who was an author and a renowned professor and teacher and scholar. And he would often, he, was al he would always call me by name, but then he would sit down and he would look me in the eye and he'd ask specific questions about my life. And he made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. I had never felt so affirmed by someone other than a family member. And uh, he knew my name. 
he wrote me a note after using my bedroom to thank me. And I was just changed by his example, his humble example. Mary lived most of her life feeling unnoticed, feeling like no one really wanted to get to know her. She felt worthless. She felt rejected. She felt scorned and uncared for. But then the day came when she heard her name called by Jesus and she felt cared for. Mary, she never heard anyone speak her name like this before with such gentleness in, in respect, in compassion. And so she was invited to follow Jesus, and she did. And now on this day, this day of the Easter resurrection, this first Easter morning, Mary heard that same familiar voice of compassion and care. Of the 7.53 billion people who are alive on earth, <clears throat> give or take one or two, um, do you know that God knows your name and he knows it intimately. You belong to him. Isaiah 42, we're told uh, from God's perspective, do not be afraid for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Do you hear God or Jesus calling your name? Especially now, if you are having doubts, if you are not knowing what your future holds, if you are living in fear or isolation, do you hear him call your name? I thought about it. John, I can hear God say, John, do not fear. I am with you every step of the way. You are never alone. John, you belong to me. I will never, ever leave you. You need not fear. your name. I think the second thing that Mary uh, would have been reminded of is that God has a high calling and purpose for her, and he does for us as well. When Mary first looked inside the tomb, do you know what she saw? She didn't see just an empty tomb. 
We're told in verse 12 that she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Why did God orchestrate it this way that Mary would see two angels in the tomb? I believe to remind her that she has a high calling and purpose. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, Jews would worship at the temple, and one time a year, a priest would go into the holy of holy place, the place behind the curtains, the thick curtains, and behind there, one time a year, the priest would offer sacrifices with his finger drop, droplets of blood on the uh, mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. If he had sin in his life, he wouldn't have made it out alive. But he did so. What a high calling and high privilege. And on top of the mercy seat or, or the atonement cover, there would have been two angels overarching like this, two cherubim. I believe Mary would have been reminded of those two cherubim as she saw the two angels on either side of the burial place of Jesus. This would have been, uh, the mercy seat in the Old Testament would have been the uh, place where God had uh, sat as he was leading his people out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And then as they built the ark, this is where God would have, his presence would have been most profound uh, to them. What did God's placement of these angels mean to, to Mary then? Mary, who no doubt saw herself as undeserving and disqualified because of her former life. Uh, I knew this was too good to be true. This Messiah who loved me, now he's dead. I knew it. Or because perhaps she was a woman, she didn't feel worthy especially compared to the male disciples and others. But how did God see Mary? How did Jesus see Mary? I believe he saw her as one of his most faithful followers. Yes, one who sat at his feet, the feet of a rabbi. Mary, um, along with the other 12 male disciples, she too was a disciple, along with the females who followed Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you have chosen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. I think Jesus would have said, Mary, you're not just a faithful follower, but you are one of my chosen priesthood. You're like this priest going behind the, the curtain into the Holy of Holies. You've seen this holy place where I was raised from the dead. You've seen these two angels. What purpose? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. It is no mistake that God orchestrated this scene and chose Mary to be the first eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus as she turned around and saw him. Mark 16, 9 says, When Jesus rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Why such why to such a scandalous woman? Well, because that's what God does. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He calls those who are humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mary was also chosen not only to be the first eyewitness, but the first witness. 
the first evangelist to proclaim the gospel. And, and so Jesus told him, go to my brothers and tell them. John twenty seventeen. Go to my brothers, tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. How did the disciples respond? Well, in in typical fashion in those days, uh, Mark 16, when they'd heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Uh, How can we trust this emotionally distraught person? She's a woman. Women were not even given the the privilege to testify in courtroom uh, scenarios. I wonder if you ever feel unworthy or disqualified. How could I ever be an effective witness for Jesus? And yet God still entrusts this high calling and high privilege for us to make his name known. Especially during this season, during this uh, coronavirus season when people seem to be lacking hope and direction and people, again, are lonely and isolated and uh, people are just wanting to know the truth. In fact, did you know that on Amazon, uh, Bible sales are record number are being sold. S- same with Walmart. I, mean, I heard on the radio yesterday that they couldn't keep enough Bibles on the shelves at Walmart. Forget about the toilet paper. They can't find enough Bibles because people are desperate for truth and hope and peace. And it's my guess that there may be a record number of people who are worshiping Jesus this morning on this Easter all around the world. Even as church buildings are empty, the church is very much alive, worshiping Jesus because they're grasping for hope. They need meaning and purpose. In Jeremy Cant's movie, I still believe uh, he was struggling with his purpose after the death of his wife. And he, there was a scene where he went to his father, Pastor Tom Camp, said, hey, Dad, man, I've had three prayers in my life, major prayers, and they all seem to turn south. First prayer was when I prayed for our, my younger brother, and he was born with special needs, with handicaps, and, um, oh, that was painful, Dad. And, and then, Dad, I prayed for your ministry at, at this church, and I, I wanted it to thrive and grow, but, Dad, it's been a struggling church. It hasn't grown much. And now I prayed for my wife. I prayed for her healing. And, and she died, Dad. I don't know what to do. And his dad turned to Jeremy and said, Hey, son, God still sits on the throne. Life is really hard. But he's still in control, and, and he'll be with you. And, and he, he, he will have a purpose beyond this to glorify his name. He will use you, Jeremy. Jeremy would have been the last person Uh, to um, think that in 19, 20 years later, he would be a top recording Christian artist on virtually every Christian radio station several times a day. And and then that they would come and ask him to do a life movie about his life and his experience. And, And it would be released at the same time this coronavirus broke out in America, virtually at the same time. 
And, and now it's being offered on our television sets where we can uh, purchase it um, at home, at home purchase. And Lord knows we have time to watch TV and rent movies. So God is using this movie, I still believe, which I highly recommend, to give hope to a hopeless world. That was God's purpose for Jeremy. And we similarly have a high privilege and purpose. And then finally, I think God communicated through the story of Mary Magdalene that he wants to offer us peace. And boy, do we need peace, don't we? Even after hearing uh, Mary's great news of great joy that Jesus was alive, still the disciples could not grasp that, and they hid in their homes, sequestered, quarantined, afraid to go out. Sound familiar? John twenty nineteen. on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They feared the Jewish leaders, but who was really the real enemy? It was the spirit of fear behind these Jewish leaders. It, it was, um, we don't wage war against flesh and blood, Ephesians tells us but against these invisible principalities and powers in the unseen realms, which, which weigh us down with fear and paralyze us, in fact. And likewise, our enemy is not against flesh and blood or even a virus, but it's against the fear of the unknown. It's against these spirits who like to discourage us and, and just lead us into despair and hopelessness. And when we shudder under the power of this common enemy of fear, know that Jesus will show up every time because he pursues us. He comes to us when we're broken and afraid. And Jesus came to the disciples, stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am, in, I am sending you. There is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. And the peace of God comes from Christ's abiding presence. But when Jesus offered his peace, he not just didn't offer the peace of God, but peace with God. See, Jesus went to the cross to die for their sins and rise again to give them life, that they may be found acceptable in God's sight. He paid the price that they deserved to pay. And in exchange, he gave them his righteousness, thereby making them and us acceptable in God's sight. We are forgiven. And this was the, essentially the message that Mary was told to give to the disciples. In verse 17, he said, Go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Oh, this would have been music to the ears, these disciples who would have felt so much shame and guilt because they not only had abandoned Jesus during his greatest time of need and run in the opposite direction out of fear, but in, in Peter's case, he denied Jesus three times. God still wants to be your father was the message that they heard. God still wants to be your God despite your failures. And he says the same to us. 
Our greatest enemy is a spirit of not only fear, but of condemnation. He wants to whisper in our ears that you are not worthy. You, you've, just, you've just fallen on your face one too many times. God is just really disappointed in you. But that's not the God that I know. And that's not the Jesus who died for us when we were yet enemies of him, uh, with him. He died for us because he loved us that much. He would have rather died that horrific death than even watch his enemies suffer and die. In other words, he offered us peace with God out of his love. And let me just end with this question. If you had the ability to end all of this coronavirus and even rewind and go back to the beginning and uh, even before it was introduced into the world, if you had the ability to say, I want to offer my life today so that all of this coronavirus could be erased, both in the past and the future, would you be willing to do that? And if you would really honestly say yes, then I would say then you have an immense amount of love to be willing to give up your life to save the lives of many others, many of whom you do not have a clue who they are. But take it one step further. What if it only counted if you were to give up the life of one of your children or grandchildren? If you were to make that decision, the love capacity would be be even much more. And what if... What if you chose to do this, give up one of your children, and yet the world went on as normal? They never recognized that gift that was offered. They went on their self-centered lives and and never once respected your decision or, or even knew about it. Or if they knew about it, they ignored it. Well, that is essentially what much of the world is doing with the gift that God has given to us by giving his only son for us, that we would not have to die eternally. That's the message of Easter. That is the good news. We have eternal life because of this great gift offered to us by Jesus Christ. God loved us that much that he gave up his only son that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. So during this world crisis, know that Mary Magdalene was chosen by God And the message that she conveys to us is that God knows each of us by name. Secondly, that God has given us a high calling, high purpose as his holy priesthood to convey the message of good news to the world, give hope to the world. And thirdly, that God offers us peace. Not only the peace of God, but peace with God that will extend into all eternity. And if you don't know this God, if you not received this gift from Jesus, if you kind of just kind of swept it under the rug or you really don't care about it, then what a beautiful time than Easter 2020 to say, Jesus, I open up my heart to you. I need you as my Savior. I need you as my Lord. I want to have a relationship with a living God who loves me that much. Please change my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen.